like herd and pack are used to describe the social circles of animals, and humans have adopted these terms into their own vocabulary. It is a desire that is shared across the animal kingdom. One thing that seems to stand out, however, is the creation of a friend through imagination for humans. While animals can either thrive in the presence of a social circle or suffer in the absence of one, some humans take it upon themselves to let their creativity take over to provide them the comfort they are not receiving from society. Redwood Bureau Report 1222, titled Mortis, follows the incident of a man and his family as they struggle with the evolving friendship their child Liam goes through. It's often said that the mind of a child is a beautiful thing, but can the mind of a child control the unexpected? And how are adults able to tell the difference between what may be part of a child's mind and what may be a legitimate cause for concern. Oftentimes, children are not able to distinguish for themselves the difference between fact and fiction, and when a child is excluded from a social circle, these abilities may be further damaged due to the absence of social cues from other children. As the old saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. Parents cannot do it on their own. What is thought to be a more stable life for children at home now is sometimes seen as a curse for them. The absence of other roles in a child's life leaves certain skills underdeveloped. It is not only important for a child to have a strong family at home, but a strong community outside of the home. Mortis follows the incident of the Brown family as they navigate these struggles of community and child rearing. When questionable items begin appearing around the home of the Browns, worry comes to the forefront for one of the fathers. Having had rough personal experiences of their own in the past, the family is left to deal with a strange situation with dire consequences. The following record was extracted from the bodies of the Brown family. I remember what it was like trying to make friends as a kid. It sucked. I mean, it was a little easier back then, thank God. But still, it takes a lot to make yourself vulnerable enough to show others that you might be interested in making a new friend. I remember this one time, this kid at school asked me if I wanted to come over for the weekend and play some new video games. Jason. We had never really talked in the past, but I always thought he was a nice kid. I said I'd have to ask my parents, but yeah, sure. Well, too bad, I don't hang out with losers. The other guys he was with cracked up, laughing. I can still hear their high-pitched cackling. I didn't think he was so nice after that. I haven't heard anything from Liam about mean kids like that at his school. 
Liam's a good kid. He doesn't have many friends, but he keeps himself occupied. He loves camping out in the backyard. I don't know where he gets that from because I tried that once when I was a kid and freaked the fuck out and ran inside after 10 minutes. He spends a lot of time in the backyard though, ever since Justin and I got him that metal detector for his birthday last year. I thought maybe Liam having two dads might have affected him making friends at school. I asked him about it once and he just said the other kids don't like how your mama jokes don't work on him. And that was the end of it. Kids can be mean, but it sounds like things are okay for him at school. I guess kids don't really need friends. Like they need to be social. And Liam is definitely social at school, but he just hasn't really made any friends. I guess that's okay. Maybe he'll make some when he gets older. He's almost 10 though. Justin's right. I just worry about him too much. It's hard not to. We went through so much with the adoption to finally be able to add a third member to our family. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't afraid of losing him. You work so hard for something, then you finally get it. I guess it only makes sense that there would be a fear hovering around you that you might lose the thing. I worry a lot, but there's nothing to worry about today. I've got a new job, Liam is starting a new grade, things are terrific. I go downstairs for my morning coffee, like I always do. Justin wakes up a bit earlier so he gets the house smelling like our favorite roast. Before I even enter the kitchen, I can hear his phone with the loud drone of some news report. It echoes off the walls and down the hall to meet me at the bottom of the stairs. I waltz into the kitchen and take a big sniff. Justin turns. Well, look what the cat dragged in. We hate cats. Maybe we'll finally get that dog someday, though. I cross the kitchen and hug him from behind while grabbing a mug, then proceed to pour some coffee. How you feeling this morning? He asks knowing that sometimes I let my nerves get the better of me. I'm all right. He stares at me. It'll be all right, after a cup. I bring the warm mug to my face. The steam rises up, blasts me in the nostrils and fogs up the bottom half of my glasses. What's the news deciding to report on today? He grabs his phone and immediately turns the volume down, aware that the loud noises aren't my favorite especially right after waking up. There's another missing hiker at Dante's Cliff. Jesus. You think people would stop going up there? I say, punctuating it with a yawn. Since when did folks around here listen to authority? Even if they caught the cougar they think is responsible, it wouldn't stop people from doing what they want. They could go all jaws and cut the animal open and have a dead hiker spill out in front of a news camera, and people would still go up to that damn place. Justin has always been a little bit more cynical than myself. He calls it realistic, but sometimes I just think he's a pessimist. He balances me out, though, because sometimes I am way positive about stuff. I guess it was my way of coping. I worry the worst will happen, so I pretend to think that there is a bright side to everything 
and that good stuff will happen all the time. I overcompensate, I guess. The news drones on. I catch a bit of the reporter speaking with a woman. And when's the last time you saw him, Miss Ladobe? Yesterday at 4 p.m. He wanted to go out for a hike before we took off for the weekend. We were heading out to the lakes to celebrate our anniversary on the 13th. Liam eventually comes tumbling down the stairs. Justin finally turns the news completely off. I grab for a bowl for Liam and slide it across the island. The usual? Liam nods while he fidgets with something in his hands. I grab a box of marshmallow-mixed cereal and pour it into his bowl. No milk. Liam hates milk. Light glints off the item that he twirls between his fingers. What do you got there, buddy? Liam holds the item up. In his hand is a small golden ring. Almost like a wedding band. I reach for it, but he jerks his hand back. Donnie says finders keepers. I'm, I'm not taking it, bud. I just want to see it. Liam hesitates, but eventually hands it over. It sure is a wedding band. Or some other kind of ring with romantic importance. It's a bit dirty, but I polish it off with the tip of my shirt. On the inside of the band, I can see an inscription. 9-13-2020 Liam, this ring belongs to someone. We should probably put up some flyers and give it back to its owners. Where did you find it? Liam speaks between mouthfuls of sugary cereal. In, in the backyard? Tony and I found it with a metal detector. I turn to Justin. Donnie? His imaginary friend. Liam yells back. He's not fake, he's real! Hey, whoa. No need to yell, I say. Especially this early in the morning. Inside voices, please. Liam looks down to his cereal. Sorry. Donnie is real. He lives in the backyard. I chuckle. Then he needs to pay rent. We could use help with the mortgage. Liam holds his hand out. Can I have my ring back? Please. He moans. Liam, I'm going to hold on to this, and we're going to see if we can find the owner of it together, okay? This was very nice of you to find this person's ring, and I'm sure they'll be happy to get it back. So instead of hanging on to the ring, you'll get a reward from us. How's the Saturday at Club Kid sound? Liam lights up at this. <gasps> oh yeah, that'd be cool. Can we go today? Justin chuckles. Saturday, bud. Now finish up. We have to go soon. Liam scarfs down his cereal. I put the ring on top of the fridge and finish my coffee, readying myself for the day. After my first day at my new job, I return home exhausted. It's not even the good kind of exhausted where you finally feel like you got something done. It's the shitty new job exhausted where they throw all the new info at you and you're expected to retain all the new information about company policies and procedures, but you still can't grasp the first thing the instructor said. Maybe I'll actually get to stick around at this job though. Companies are laying people off left and right. I can't do another job hunt. I don't care if I hate this one. 
just let me stick in one place and hate it. I come into the living room and plop down on the couch next to Justin. Where's Liam? In the backyard. With Donnie. He says, smiling. Should we really be encouraging that? I ask. Justin shrugs. It's an imaginary friend, it's pretend. Kids are always going to pretend. Yeah, but he hasn't had the easiest time making real friends. It's not dangerous for his first friend to be imaginary? Justin pats me in the leg. I think you're doing what you do best. Worrying. I had an imaginary friend too, when I was his age. I look at him. No, you didn't. Why would I lie about something like that? Justin asks, raising an eyebrow. Well, good point. What was his name? Her name was Eloise. How progressive of you. Justin smiles. I know, but she was a great girl. Always up for an adventure, always there when I needed her. I would even have pretend arguments with her sometimes. Okay, now you're making it up. I laugh. I made it all up. That's the point. It's imaginary. It simulates life. It doesn't replace it. Don't worry about him. I let out a big sigh. I didn't realize I had been holding in. <sighs> but... But... Justin continues. If you're that worried about him, then go check on him. Like I said, he's running around in the backyard. I give my husband a soft kiss, then hop up and head back through the house to our backyard. The commute is thankfully not that long, so I'm home in time to see the sun setting over the woods behind our house. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Signal connection restored. A cold breeze comes through, rustling some yellow and orange leaves that lay in a pile on the connected patio. I'll probably have to take care of that this weekend. Liam sits in the backyard near a pile of dirt, the metal detector laying on the ground next to him. He's holding something in his hands, but I can't tell what it is from this distance. I swear, 
if he took the ring from the top of the fridge. Liam? I holler while walking up to the fresh hole he's dug in the ground. Liam turns to me and gives his ten-year-old excited wave. Dirt smudges cover his clothes and face. Please don't tell me you've already taken a bath. Liam tries to wipe some of the dirt from his cheek, but it just smears into a black spread that reaches his ear. Nope. Not yet. He goes back to what he's holding. What's that? I ask, squatting down beside him. Mm, I don't know, he says. Donnie pointed it out over there. I take a closer look. It's a black leather wallet with a silver chain attached to it. The kind that a new punk rock kid might buy from the mall to impress his emo girlfriend. You said you got this from the ground? Liam nods. I didn't have to dig much. It was kind of sticking out. I open the wallet and a small driver's license takes up the right side. A picture of a young teen with dyed jet black hair stares back at me. The name reads... James Carlin. Liam reaches up for it. I like the chain. Can I keep it? I close the wallet and stand. I don't think so, bud. This belongs to someone and they must have lost it nearby. But it was in our yard. And Donnie already said finders keepers. Well, Donnie's not necessarily right about that. But I found it! Liam yells. How would you feel if you lost something you really liked and someone else found it and kept it? Wouldn't you want it back? I ask. Liam looks at the ground. I'd want it back, but I wouldn't understand if they kept it. Donnie says I should have paid more attention to it if I really liked it, and then I wouldn't have lost it. You know, I don't really care for all this stuff that Donnie is telling you. If he's going to give you such bad advice, then maybe you two shouldn't hang out. But he's my friend! He's imaginary, Liam. He's not real. You know what that means, right? I ask. No, he is real! Liam pleads. He's the only person that wants to hang out with me! I kneel back down. Wait, what does that mean? Are the other kids at school giving you a hard time? Liam begins tearing up. No, the other kids are stupid. Donnie's the only cool one. He listens to me and hangs out whenever I want. Maybe this isn't the best way to handle it, especially right now. Listen, we'll talk about Donnie some more later. I'm sorry that I said you couldn't hang out with him. I know how special a best friend can be. So let's just go inside, get cleaned up, and call it a night, okay? Liam shuffles back across the yard to the house. I place the wallet in my pocket and head back inside. As I turn, I feel a tug on the chain. I turn back, but there's nothing there. Must have been my imagination. The following morning, I awake to the smell of coffee. I don't love this job, but I could definitely get used to this. Waking up in my boring house, to my boring family, ready to go to my boring job. I could definitely get used to this. I hop down the stairs with a little more pep in my step than I realize. 
Again, the sounds of what I assume are some local news once more drift into the hallway and to the steps. I meet Justin in the kitchen and give him an ever-grateful embrace for the cup of coffee. He's scrubbing a pan in the sink, some yellow remnants of egg stuck to the black surface. I sip from the cup of coffee and glance at the top of the fridge. The ring and the wallet rest on top. A news reporter drones on, and once again I hear the name of Dante's Cliff. They still haven't found the guy? I ask. Different person. Justin responds. Christ, it's been one day. Justin shrugs. They think this one was a runaway kid, though. The news blares on, and I perk up. Wait, what was that? Justin looks at me. What? The name they just said, rewind it. Justin holds up the pan in his hands, evidence that he's otherwise currently occupied. I set my coffee down, grab his phone, and hit the back button a few times. The connection lags as the audio jumps back a few 15 second increments. Once it's back about a minute, I hop over to the fridge and grab the wallet. By the time I have the wallet open, the news reporter says the name. James Carlin was reported missing last night by his parents, and as police currently have no leads, they have confirmed his last known whereabouts were in the same place as many other recent missing persons cases. It seems something sinister lurks around Dante's cliff, and local authorities have now begun bringing in animal control to see if some theory as to what type of animal may be causing these disappearances can be established. Justin looks at me. I can tell in his reaction he's concerned. What's wrong? This wallet belongs to that kid. What? He drops the dishes and wipes his hands on a nearby cloth. I hold the wallet up to him. This wallet, the one that I told you Liam found in the backyard last night. It's that missing kid's name. Oh shit. What do we do? Should we call the cops? I nod. Yeah, I think that's best. Then we need to sit Liam down and have a talk with him. Justin reaches for the phone, and it flies out of his hands. What the fuck? Donnie says you can't call the cops. I turn around and Liam is standing at the edge of the kitchen. If he wasn't my son, I'd probably be afraid of this pale-looking, scraggly-haired child less than ten feet away from me. Liam, we need to talk about you and Donnie, I say, placing the wallet on the center island. Donnie doesn't want to talk. He says he just wants to be friends, but you won't let us. Liam doesn't move. He just stares at us. Liam? I say calmly, directly. Where did you get this stuff? This ring and this wallet? From Donnie. He said we never found anything with a metal detector, so he took some of his stuff to hide so we could find it. He helped me. That's what friends do. I nod. You're right. That is what friends do. They help each other out. But I think Donnie may be taking stuff that isn't his. Those things belong to other people. Justin goes to pick up his phone again and yelps as an invisible force smacks it and sends the phone flying into the nearby wall. It lands with a shatter and plastic bits fly everywhere. Okay, what the hell? Liam, what's going on? I yell. Donnie says you can't call the cops. He says that stuff belongs to him. The other people weren't using it anymore. Dead people can't use rings and wallets. 
What do you mean, dead people, Liam? Do you know what happened to those people? Tears begin running down Liam's face. He's mad, but also scared. I don't think he has much more of an idea as to what's going on than we do. Donnie says the same thing is going to happen to you if you try to make him go away. He wants to be my friend. Hey, buddy. Nothing's going to happen to anyone. We'll get rid of Donnie and everything will be okay. A knife flies across the room and stops with a crunch nearby as I duck. When I look up, Justin lies on the floor with the knife sticking out of his head. Daddy? Daddy? Liam shouts. Liam, run! I yell as I stand up and try to run after him. I see Liam run down the hall and he disappears into the closet under the stairwell. Something tugs at my shirt and I turn and punch, but there's only air. I kneel down to grab the knife from my husband's dead body, but it's removed from his face by an invisible force. A feeling of a strong gust slams through the kitchen. Papers fly everywhere, utensils slam against walls, bubbles from the dishwasher catch on the wind and swirl around me. I turn to grab something, anything. I reach for the wallet, but it becomes caught up in the whirlwind. The chain extends from the wallet and reaches out toward me. I go to grab it, but it avoids my hand and wraps around my neck. I shout for my son, but my voice is cut off. The chain tightens, and the last thing I hear is the screaming of my child as everything turns to black. The bodies of Xander and Justin Brown were found at the Brown residence, impaled with various kitchen utensils. Liam Brown was found alone in a closet under the stairs and was escorted away by the Bureau under the guise of children and family services. Local authorities had no explanation for the incident and as such, passed on the case to the Bureau in the belief that it was now in federal hands. Liam Brown has since been held in quarantine at the Bureau headquarters. It has become evident since his time there that the child maintains an ongoing connection with a supernatural entity simply referred to as Donnie. After multiple investigations and interviews with the child, the Bureau has established the theory that this Donnie entity may be one closely associated with the execution of death itself. Within the offices, the nicknames Grim Reaper and Mr. Death have been used interchangeably with the name of Donnie established by Liam. It seems that the connection the entity has with the child is one of jealousy and protection. Within the first two weeks of Liam Brown being held by the Bureau, three guards were killed for refusing services that were requested by the child. Even more, with the refusal of the requests came warnings from Liam, advising agents that if Donnie were to become upset, then he may act in harsh and violent ways. This information has since been confirmed by the death of the three agents, along with the logs retrieved from the deceased Brown family. Now that the Bureau is aware of the power and desires of the entity Donnie, the Bureau has taken the entity under control. With the help of Liam and as such Donnie, the Bureau has successfully planned and executed the assassinations of 17 world leaders around the globe. Donnie's presence is untraceable, leading the Bureau to now have stealth power that is unmatched in any other agency. There have been multiple leading pieces of evidence mentioned from Liam that there may be other Donnies out in the world. 
the Bureau has since established teams in France, New Zealand, Brazil, Alaska, and Maine in the pursuit of leads that may unveil the existence of other such entities. With the invisible power of death, the Bureau would have one more powerful weapon in their arsenal of evil. But if there are entities out there to cause death, surely there could be entities out there to prevent death. Report 1222 outlines not only the discovery and capture of entities that cause death, but also plans to find and eliminate or convert entities that prevent it. Much like humanity, the supernatural seems to have a social classification that has only just been discovered. RPP report 1222 deactivated. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast podcast network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one. Oh, <laughs>